What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. In today's episode, Gabe Lyons, he's the founder and president of Think Media, shares his experience engaging with thought leaders and also shares his vision for creating a space where Christians can come together to think, learn, and challenge each other with the biggest questions facing the world and also their own lives. He emphasizes the importance of cultural discernment and provides us with a formula for thinking well as a Christian, including understanding theology, history, nuance, and simply just asking better questions. He believes that thought leaders, regardless of their scholarly credentials, have the ability to influence others around them and shape their thinking towards Christ and kingdom truths in a world filled with deceptive teachings and cultural chaos. Let's listen in as Gabe gives his speech at the main session from this most recent forum. Let's dive in. My first experience engaging with thought leaders, I was 27 years old. I had spent five years working for John Maxwell and his organization when he had left being a pastor and decided he was going to commit his full-time energy to traveling the country and beginning to help pastors and business leaders understand leadership and how that might apply to the church. And I remember getting invited to an event in San Diego that was hosted by a company that many of you have heard of, possibly, some of you maybe have never heard of, called Fast Company. Anybody remember Fast Company? Fast Company magazine. And it was, it was a magazine that dealt with some of the most innovative ideas, technologies, people telling their stories. And it was a gathering of about 200 people that came from every area of culture, people in media, technology, business, politics. And as we gathered in San Diego for this gathering, I realized as I sat there that this group was full of energy, enthusiasm. They were looking at the future of the world and they were imagining what that future ought to look like. The dinners were boisterous. People were excited to be making new connections and being inspired by one another's work and creativity. And I remember sitting there as someone who was there representing the church and looking around and not really seeing anybody else in the room that was thinking about the future of faith. Think about the future of where would religion go in the next generation? What were the innovations? What were the ways in which we were going to take the truth of the kingdom and deliver it to people who I knew were desperate for it, but would never hear it unless somebody took it to them? And I remember coming away from that gathering with a burden, realizing that there wasn't a lot of spaces where Christians were coming together to think and to talk and to learn from one another and to try new things and to collaborate and to not care who gets the credit, but just create space where we could be challenged by the biggest questions facing the world, facing our societies, facing our communities, and facing our children. And so 20 years ago, when I left John Maxwell, it was to go create that kind of a space. We called it the Q Conference. And over 20 years now, we've been gathering leaders to think well about our cultural moment and to try to understand what does it mean to navigate this culture, both by being biblically convicted and faithful, but also being creative, but also being innovative, by also trying to consider what is the need of the hour and how can we show up in that moment? Well, the work that we've done over 20 years has been to try to help more and more leaders that aren't necessarily pastors, but are leaders in the culture, better understand how their faith applies to the life that they're living. You realize the church is this place that's a hub that really gathers these leaders in all these other channels of culture, and that when you look at a society and you understand how societies function, they're made up of people that sit in governments, that work in our schools, that are in the marketplace as entrepreneurs or business leaders. 
There are people who are building technology companies. There are people in the media space or on social media creating content. And once a week, they come together into one space to get vision and connectivity and understanding about what is my mission when I move back out into that world. And for many people, when they've come into our churches, they many times are met with spiritual nourishment, but they're not always shared. How do I go back and apply this to the people that I'm spending time with every day? Now, fast forward 20 years, and when you talk to a 20-something who's leaving college and they're entering into their life, their career, they're trying to find their way forward into the professional services or into an environment that they've studied and given four, six, eight years of their life to prepare for, and many times they feel completely alone, completely isolated, unsure of how their faith actually applies to all of the public life that they're about to lead. And so it's with that burden that we started to work hard to figure out how do we help people understand that they actually are thought leaders, that they are people who, whether they've studied in the academics for eight years or whether they're somebody that never attended a college, that every single one of us has the ability to influence the thinking of others. In fact, that's the simple definition of a thought leader. It's one who influences the thinking of others. It's a parent. It's a teacher. It's a pastor. It's a small group leader. It's not just someone who has the scholarly credentials. It's someone who recognizes that God's given you influence over others and that by you leveraging your opportunity to steward and to shape their thinking, you have the opportunity to influence them coming closer to Christ, closer to kingdom truths, and further away from the lies that the enemy is constantly trying to deceive us with. In a book called Faith for Exiles that David Kenneman and Mark Matlock wrote just a few years ago, One of the key data points that came out of this when they analyzed 18 to 29-year-olds, and they described them as resilient disciples, the group of disciples that actually stayed with faith. We always hear the stories, right, of, of those in the next generation. They walk away from faith, and we're pretty used to that, and we almost assume that the majority of kids who leave at 18 years old are going to ultimately leave the church. But what was really interesting about this subgroup called Resilient Disciples as they studied them that were 18 to 29-year-olds, they'd went through college, they'd been challenged by all the world's ideas, and yet they'd come back and said, no, I'm actually sticking with faith, was they had five different characteristics. Those characteristics were this. They experienced Jesus. They had meaningful relationships. They understood vocational discipleship. They were a part of a countercultural mission. And then finally, they had cultural discernment. What I want to talk about for just a few moments is the power of cultural discernment in an age of cultural chaos. You see, what's stealing and deceiving the minds of so many today is an inability to know how to anchor themselves to the truth without being swayed by the momentum of new ideas and the temptations of those who want to deceive motivated by the enemy, a new generation into ideologies, into ways of thinking that ultimately lead to death and not to life. Now, in Scripture, we're warned about this. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, the Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Have any of you seen that type of teaching? Have you seen it? We don't necessarily call it demonic spirits, but have we seen teachings that are leading people away that take them down paths that don't lead to life but lead to death? Philippians 1, 9 and 10, and this is my prayer, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, cultural discernment is critical and, and the definition of cultural discernment as I would define it today is this. It's applying God's unchanging wisdom to the ever-changing trends and questions of our cultural landscape. What we find today is many churches are a bit shy about talking about how to apply biblical truth to the current cultural issues. I would refer back to 2020 being one of the most tiresome years for leaders, for pastors who were dealing with multiple cultural issues, coming at them quickly, feeling a need to address those issues, but knowing that no matter what they said, Half the congregation may be upset. Maybe they would use a word wrongly. Maybe they recognized they weren't experts in the particular topic being discussed, and so it was a no-win game, and so they backed away from that discussion. You see, in many cases, pastors have felt the pressure to be the expert on everything, and yet that's not necessarily the calling of a pastor, is it? A teacher isn't called to come in here and be the expert on artificial intelligence or mental health or racism. Now, of course, theology and scripture has something to say to all of these issues, and the pastor's role is to help us define that, to discern that, to understand the truth of God's word and how it applies to today. How does that wisdom apply to the current issues and trends? But finding our way in how not only we do it as leaders, but how we are starting to teach our people and disciple them to feel confident to do this is going to be the key to not only reaching a new generation, but the key to evangelism in this new moment. We've created a rubric that helps us talk about how to think well as a Christian. And I'm going to give you five different simple words that I want you to remember because these five words are going to help you. They're going to help you in your own life as you're coming up against some new cultural issue or term you've never heard of before. It's going to help you when your child asks you a question about some issue, some story that their friend's telling you about and you have no idea where this story came from or what, what the roots of it are. And it's five simple words that we can use to better define what it means to think well. The T in the word think, and this think is spelled a little differently. It ends with a Q and I'll explain why. The T stands for theology. You see, when you're faced with a current issue, the first question we have to ask is, what is God's view of this matter? What does Scripture say about this? What have the church fathers throughout the ages said about this issue? And how would that help me better be informed about how I would respond to the current issue of our moment? Then the H stands for history. You see, it's critical to ground our thinking in theology, but in a very close second, is to understand history. It's to understand the history of events, the history of ideas. You know, there's not many new ideas under the sun. Many of these ideas just recycle and recycle, but new generations aren't always aware of the last time that idea recycled. So as thoughtful people, we help understand history. Back in 2004, I was able to meet and spend time with someone who had become an intellectual hero to me, Chuck Colson. I'd met him through my work with John Maxwell and his book, How Now Shall We Live, had just grabbed a hold of my life because I'd grown up in the church, but I'd not quite understood Christian worldview talked about the way Chuck Colson talked about it. And many of you who might have followed his work understand he was deeply influenced by Francis Schaeffer, 
who was writing about worldview in the 60s and 70s and deeply influenced the way the evangelical church was considering its role in culture. In fact, if you go back now and read the books by Francis Schaeffer, and I've gone back and read as many of them as I can get my hands on, you can see that he was prophetically predicting the moment that we now live in. He was predicting a a moment where humanity would feel meaningless. We would feel purposelessness because we would have so divided ourselves away from understanding that we are designed by a creator God who loves us and wants a personal relationship with us, that we would be seeking that truth as a civilization on our own and so many other idols and other manipulations that are trying to grab our attention, that we would ultimately be left empty. But as I spent time with Chuck Colson, 2004, 5, 6, I was able to have conversations and I would ask him questions. And, and at the time, I was in my late 20s and I had all kinds of questions about cultural issue. Gay marriage was starting to become a conversation. We were talking about just war theory. I was trying to understand how to think about immigration and whether countries should, should be borderlessness or should we have borders. I mean, all these dynamic questions were coming up in those years. And we would have long conversations. He was patient with me. But finally, at one point, he got frustrated. And he said, Gabe, you know what you really need to do? You need to read some old books. It seems the books you're reading are just a little too close to our age. You need to go back in time a bit because most every single cultural issue that we're dealing with today has been dealt with over centuries. None of this is new. It's just new terms. It's just being defined a little bit differently. And he pointed me to some of those resources that were so helpful for me to go into depth and better understand the history of some of these ideas. The next letter is I. It stands for inquiry. And and simply, this means to be a curious person, to be someone who says, I don't have all the answers. People are looking at me for the answers, but I'm going to go learn. With humility, I'm going to try to understand and discover what are people saying about this topic. Recently, I had to give a talk to 12,000 college students on the topic of artificial intelligence. Now, I'm not an expert in artificial intelligence. Like you, you've been reading about it, you've probably been learning about it, but how do you give a moral case for how one should think about artificial intelligence? Well, for me, this took months, months of being curious, of reading the authors, reading the books, reading the sources, trying to understand the future vision of this topic to then be able and be prepared to share, well, what does scripture say about this? How should we think well about this topic? How much should we engage with it or not? Is technology good, bad, neutral? You see, you can only answer some of these questions at a depth that a new generation is going to ask of you if you've taken the time to learn and to investigate, to be curious. And then the end stands for nuance. This gets more to our posture. How do we communicate in a way that doesn't assume we have all the answers, but it assumes that we can learn from those that we're talking with. And out of respect for them, we engage in real conversation and we don't have nuance in what our biblical conviction is, but we have nuance in how we choose our words, how we carefully invite people in because ultimately we want to persuade them to the truth. And then finally we get to the Q, which stands for questions. As a Christian, we want to ask a better question than the world's asking about any of these topics. Jesus asked over 350 questions in his ministry. It was his primary way to engage people, to invite them into conversation, to invite them to actually self-discover and to think. You see, as we look at a new generation and we look at the churches that are thriving, and trust me, there are some. If we just drove down the street to Nashville, you'd see a church plant that just began two months ago with 800 people. 
Nashvillians that are young, that are cosmopolitan, that are interested in life and culture, but they're also interested in being discipled. And you know what we're finding in these churches? We're finding space where conversations are able to be had, where discipleship isn't looked at as just something that's from a pulpit, preaching to a, a group of people, platitudes and principles and teaching and doctrine. All that's good, but they're creating spaces where people sit in circles, not rows. And they're able to process through the real questions that they have. They're able to ask the tough questions that on a Sunday they're not ever able to ask, but when they find the safety of a space where they can dialogue, when they can actually realize that the Christian faith has something to offer to the biggest questions they're facing with their friends, they go, no, that's a faith that's real. That's something that I can be confident in. I don't have to apologize to be a Christian. In fact, it's the basis for how human beings find their meaning and their purpose. In my job, I get to spend time talking to a lot of people that are way smarter than I am. I've spent some time in this last few weeks talking to some of the top scientists in the world who are Christians. And can I just tell you how blown away I've been talking to these scientists? I mean, these scientists are discovering some of the most amazing things, whether it's in the universe, literally the stars, the planets, all the way to those who are doing molecular biology. And you know what the consistent theme of these conversations have been? That the further the science goes on almost any topic or issue, they discover that there is a design to this that is brilliant. There's a beautiful design and that the origination of science wasn't something that as we all often hear this kind of cliche way of thinking about science, that science is for those that don't have religion. The deeper people get into the study of science, they go, no, actually science was created for the most part by Christians. Christians who wanted to discover how did God make this world and how did this world function? And you see scientists that are developing even more confidence to talk about their faith because they're recognizing that their colleagues are struggling with meaning. They're struggling with purposelessness because they don't know why we're here. They don't know how this came to be. And when we create spaces where people can sit and have these dialogues, these conversations, we're gonna create a new opportunity for evangelism. You see, I believe the new evangelist will be thought leaders. I don't mean the scholarly type. I'm not referring to necessarily those who are in the depths of the sciences, but I'm talking about your kids. I'm talking about my kids. I'm talking about our friends. I'm talking about those who are willing to say, I'm going to engage the questions that you have about the world that we're in. And that may be about mental health. It may be about artificial intelligence. It's going to be about gender. It's going to be about LGBTQ issues and topics. It's going to be about things that perhaps you'd be uncomfortable or not even know how you would address in a larger setting. But in a one-on-one conversation, you're going to have the confidence to say, let's explore this together. Let's discuss the questions that you have about this. Let's together start to explore what does it mean to think well about this? What does it mean to discover wisdom? Because we know that God's wisdom is ultimately what will bring somebody the flourishing that they're longing for deep in their heart. And so as we move into disciple making, as we move into creativity and innovation for this moment, may we be the kinds of people that are willing to create new spaces, that are willing to create circles perhaps, and less rows, that we're committed to discipling people in the word of God so that they understand the truth so they can understand and recognize the counterfeit when it presents itself, when the enemy tries to deceive, so that these won't be swept away, that when Jesus says in Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent 
as doves that we're preparing and equipping people to be shrewd, to know what it means to walk into a space where there's going to be false ideologies. There's going to be an enemy that's working overtime to deceive. He wants to take those who've at an early age believed in the truths of scripture and then he wants to steal that and destroy that. And may we create the kinds of spaces that welcome the conversation that doesn't avoid it, but says you can have that conversation here and we're gonna point you back to true truth that actually leads to freedom. Thank you. Up next, you're gonna be jumping into the Q&A session featuring both Gabe Lyons and Tom Rayner from the last episode being interviewed by our point leader, Bobby Harrington. If you didn't listen to episode eight, hearing Tom Rayner's speech, the main session, make sure to skip back to that one before you go forward to the next one. And if you haven't already clicked the subscribe button, do that please, so that you know when I release the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener of this fantastic podcast that I get to be a part of. Enjoy the rest of your day and make sure you stop and slow down and enjoy this wonderful Christmas season that we're in right now. All right, y'all. Hope to catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.